Hello, Joel here. I've got a new book out. It's called Be Funny or Die. How comedy works and why it matters. And it's about how comedy works and why it matters. Why human beings tell jokes and then what that tells us about being human beings. So if you're a human being and you enjoy laughing and then want to know what the hell's going on with that, it's probably a pretty good book to read. It's called Be Funny or Die. It's in shops. You can buy it. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Cheese and pickle. This is Comfort Blanket and I'm Joel Morris. I'm going to be talking to someone who makes cool stuff that I like about some warm stuff that they like. A book or a TV show or a film or a record they go back to again and again for comfort. This time I'm talking to the actor, comedian and broadcaster Tom Price. Tom is possibly best known for being in Torchwood, the Doctor Who show, and he presents the Drive Time show on Magic FM. Tom also devised and presents a brilliant podcast series called My Mate Bought a Toaster, in which he dives into guests' Amazon purchase histories, finds out the rubbish they've picked up, and holds them responsible for their choices. Outside his broadcast work, Tom is a voracious reader and enjoys researching things like the history of the Second World War, and that may be why he's chosen as his comfort blanket the forensic and authentic Second World War series, Allo Allo. Do you believe it possible that the plot has now thickened? Air Flick thinks that the general and the colonel are planning to blow up Hitler. Air Flick can do nothing about this because he has been imprisoned in the dungeon of the chateau disguised as a woman. <laughs> if my hands are shaking, it is because Michel of the Resistance, in a plan to blow up the general, placed a bomb in the wheelchair of my wife's mother. <laughs> Unfortunately, the attempt misfired. <laughs> and my wife's mother survived. She was last seen disappearing at very high speed with a cloud of smoke coming from the bottom <laughs> of her wheelchair. Well, welcome to your house. I've come round your place. Thanks. Because you said you had microphones. And, and look, this is a microphone over here. I've got one here too. And this is amazing. There's also... Thanks for laying it on. You're very welcome. Should we do a dog caveat now? There are dogs. If, there you're, are... if you're sensitive to the noise of dogs... You can be, I wonder if you can be orally allergic, allergic to dogs. Yeah, I don't know. It's a bit, if you hear dogs, you, you're not having a stroke. Yeah. <laughs> there are, well, you, you might want to have a stroke of the dog. Maybe that'll, that'll be what it makes <laughs> you think of. But there are dogs trying to get into this room. Yeah, I'm hoping they'll forget <laughs> and sort of move on and be distracted by something else. That is a good thing about dogs. That's why I like them. That's why I feel like I am a dog because I'm constantly distracted by something else. So yeah. I'm hoping that, that someone releases a cat. That's right. That's right. There's a war of attrition with attention going on and they'll disappear. So there, there might be dogs noises right okay and talking of war we're going to be talking about possibly one of the most harrowing depictions of the war ever put on the screen on british television because you yes. have chosen for your comfort blanket yeah hello hello <sighs> i mean what a joy i mean it is uh constantly on in the imperial war museum <laughs> 
If that's what I would do. If I really? if they could do a guest editor of the Imperial War Museum, I'd I'd just take over the whole basement and we'd just watch René for hours and hours. You know what? You'd learn a lot. Weirdly, you'd you'd learn more about Britain in the nineteen eighties and nineteen nineties <laughs> yeah. than than actually the Second World War. Yeah, it's a, a lens through which we can see ourselves. Maybe that's what it's for. Hey. Who who knew art would yeah. offer that up? That, and that's right. Hello, hello is art. I was pissing by the door. <laughs> when I heard two shots. You are holding in your hand a smoking goon. You are clearly the guilty potty. So is Alo something which you will, if it's on, you will watch it, or do you seek it out, or is it just something ambiently you're happy is there? I, I'm afraid I probably have going to have to go for option three because there's so much stuff to watch, and I've almost got to the point with my cultural addictions now that it's almost like a, a chore. Do you get this when you've yeah, got a yeah. box set? You're like, oh, I've got to get to the end of True Detective because uh, you know because I've got to get that done because the new series of Bosch starts quite soon. We're concertinaing <laughs> back to this idea of maybe there's some format where we could just have a whole story in one episode. Yeah, imagine that. Or alternatively, if we're talking about the comfort of our lower low, something where it's a meandering story that doesn't matter. You can drop in at any point and it will be in a state of complete stasis. Yeah. So I, would, I exactly, and that is a bit like foils war which yeah. famously went on longer than the second or World mash war. Isn't it yeah. longer than the korean war exactly what about the cheese you may keep the cheese <laughs> we could use it to stuff in our ears when his wife sings in the cafe <laughs> i love the idea that it's there I'm, i take comfort from the fact that it's there. i take comfort from from how it taught me to enjoy telly and things and we'll probably get into that but i have also discovered and this podcast has cost me joel Right, because full disclosure, I'm not being paid for this. Right, five ninety nine. I'm out of pocket because I have now subscribed to BritBox. <laughs> send an invoice in, and I'll give you your share of the profits. I'll send it to you every month, <laughs> as long as, because you know what's going to happen with BritBox. It's going to sit there for months and months and months, like a like a sort of dusty audible. Yeah, you know what I mean. And it'll be on my direct debits, and I'll go, oh, yeah, BritBox. I should really watch Marple, but. If you cancelled your BritBox subscription, it would be harder to watch LOLO if you needed it. Well, this is the thing, isn't it? I wonder if there's a sort of room of requirement thing going on here, because BritBox specifically, and I think does feed into the theme of your show as well, BritBox is all about comfort. Yeah. Comfort box. And I think that knowing that it's there, having access to it, it's a good cushion. I may not use it every day. It's probably just going to sit on that chair over there. That's a lovely point, because we talked about this a lot, especially with my wife, because my house is full of clutter. I have books and DVDs and records and things everywhere. I like the physical media. I didn't get rid of all my physical media. And one of the reasons I like them there is I know they're within arm's reach. No one can take that off the surface. Yeah. I've got that stuff to hand. And the funny thing about joining a comfortable service like BritBox, it's like saying, don't worry, hello, hello, and only fools and horses and minder will always be there if you need them. That's exactly You may never need them. Break glass (laughs) in case of emergency. I might never watch it, but I need to know it's there. Now listen very carefully. I shall say this only once. (laughs) I have good news. I have come here to collect the British airmen. I expect you will be very glad to get rid of them. You can say that again. I don't suppose she will. (laughs) Someone said once that the reason that if you are emotionally not particularly stable or you're worried you might get a bit panicky or whatever, you need an external hard drive 
within reach that's got your emotions on. And the emotions yeah. might be contained in a program or a book that you had. I want to feel as calm as I did or as happy yeah. as I did when I watched Monty Python and the Holy Grail the first time. And yeah. the promise of your shelf, the reason you have books on your shelf is... I might be able to pull that off and take it like a tablet. Yeah. Go back in time and yeah. feel that emotion again. It's a it's a hard drive of emotions. It's a comfort cloud. <laughs> yes, exactly. It you put is. it stashed somewhere. I would say it feels quite it feels quite a nice role. As I discovered watching a few Alolos getting ready for this, when everyone's gone to bed and whereas normally I'd have to catch up on the latest brutal murder to happen yeah. on True Detective or something, <laughs> to actually watch half an hour of terrible moustaches and yeah. very dated attitudes was it was it was absolutely delicious. Well, look, do not let them come in here. You speak the language, tell them to go away. Go. Now listen, chaps. Rene's been awfully decent putting you up here, but you have outstayed your welcome. We, we, we can't walk around as nuns all day. The Jerry's keep trying to chat us up. Didn't they suspect the moustache? You think mine's big, you should see the mother superiors. I wonder as well, Joel, if this is a sign of getting older when you culturally have your comfort blankets that are in the distant past because as you get older you you know i remember my my grandparents watching old black and white things yeah. and i was like oh that's rubbish you could watch color thing why are you watching that but i'm like oh now i'm doing that that's oh fine good to know i'm getting ready yeah it's it but it takes you back to the time of the past it's it's a non-toxic version of nostalgia in the sense that yeah. it is completely innocent and harmless for you to be reminded of how happy something made you yeah so did yeah. you like hello hello as a kid is, yeah. it, is the association there watching it with your family or so very much yeah the association is watching it with my dad my late dad i lost him when i was very young and i remember watching it with him when i was probably about fuck i don't know like eight or nine and low hello at eight o'clock and the assassination plot thickens need to kill the general we have already arranged to kill the general oh. do you not see that if we kill him with the pill from the till by making with it the drug in the jug you need not light the candle with the handle of the gato from the shuttle simple plots are always the best and there's a specific moment i remember on a sofa in a part of our house which has since been knocked down. Quite a big house, and then there was a side bit, and we lived in the little side bit, and my grandparents yeah, yeah. lived in the old house. And it's just been knocked down <gasps> by the current owners. And everyone was like, oh, gosh, that's sad. And I was like, oh, great, I'm so happy that's gone. felt <laughs> like a real, oh like, erasure. <laughs> I know, I know. But I remember really clearly sitting there, lying on my dad's chest, and watching Hello, Hello, and that music, yeah. him laughing, and that thing of being a kid and going, I, I'm, I'm going to laugh when he laughs, I don't right. quite, know why, quite know why I'm laughing, but that'll get me in. And then suddenly, there's a man saying, "I was, I was pissing by the door, and I heard a loud <laughs> bum." I'm just like, "This is." And I think that my sense of humour was imprinted. And when so right. when people say to me, "You have the sense of humour of a seven-year-old," I'm like, "Well, it's a little of fault." That's when you learn to laugh. Where am I supposed to find silk? The agent Crabtree has a plan, which he will explain. You must go and get your hands on girls' knockers. <laughs> laughter is collective. There's a brilliant stat that most laughter is communal. You laugh far more when you're with other people. Yeah. You're the same stimulus, same joke, same show. You'll yeah. sit and watch quietly on your own or on headphones and not make a noise when there are other people in the room. And Allo Allo is a studio sitcom. There is laughter in it. Yes. And you would watch it because there are only four channels. You'd watch it with your family. And yes. you would learn from the cues of your family laughing and the people in the studio laughing yeah. to laugh when you didn't understand the jokes no and you weren't left on your own you're learning uh, storytelling you're learning yeah. how to enjoy these things you're learning how to enjoy 
culture you're learning how to and it obviously again another thing as well which we now lack a bit is it was weekly so it was a saturday night thing yeah. it was on i think it was on like a 5 45 it was really early and it was just that thing of of learning how to go well all my problems such as they were at eight years old or all my other things disappear and for this moment we will go and we will have guaranteed enjoyment this is there yeah. is no risk here there's no oh well, i'll go with you dad I mean, he wants me to go with him to the petrol station to fill up that might be boring <laughs> or you know what i mean or he wants me to go and help him with the lawn mowing the lawn oh god it'll probably be boring or maybe something fun will happen which did happen my dad once drove the lawnmower into a river that was, you know, <laughs> but it, that couldn't happen every weekend whereas on a lower low that would happen every weekend this looks like a good kitchen we will sell our fish I have something girls. I have something girls. I have the crabs. It's the guarantee, isn't it? I think it's yeah. the, the contract is there. This got, I think I looked up the viewing figures. This is a 14 million people watching this. Mm. Huge international hit. Wow. So people are going to it for the guarantee of it not letting them down. Have you noticed the pattern? I don't know if you looked this up on Wikipedia, the pattern of episodes. They did the standard thing, like six episodes, one a week. And then I think it's season four, there's 26 episodes. Wow. Because they were trying to sell it to America because it's written by David Croft and Jeremy Lloyd, who did Are You Being Served? Huge international hit, big hit in America. well maybe this will work too so they made 26 so it could go into syndication and I watched a couple of that series it happened to be on Gold a couple of nights ago and it is a full on army spy story running for 26 episodes yeah but of course a joke one where nothing really happens and they just run around in circles so you could drop it at any point and not be lost Did it, was it successful I don't know much no, about the history of it the 26 episode thing failed it didn't work but mm. there is weirdly in the middle of it it's really I remember reading years ago that they got to a point with writing this that they could write one in about a day because <laughs> it was just a beautiful formula they'd come up with and you should be able to. That's why they could turn out 26 of it. It's totally formulaic. The, and the guys know what they're doing. The ep- Well, they really know what they're doing. The episodes that I've watched recently to research this, uh, you really notice how we jump to this character I love, and then there's this character I love, and then there's this character. And, you know, I haven't watched episodes for a while until I watched these the other day. And they're very short scenes, so you'll get yeah. Hair Flick and his sidekick. And they will have three scenes? Yeah. You're deliberately disobeying my orders? No. Show me. No, I will not. Why not? Because I am teasing and tantalising you, I'm going. But when you consider you've got... It's, it's a big... I think what I'm trying to say is it's a big cast. There's a yeah. lot of very lovable, very rounded characters. Dismiss a low, a low at your peril. Yeah. You know a lot about these characters. You need to, otherwise it's not funny. Clarity. It's all about clarity and familiarity. Yes. How this works is a big cast... It moves from person to person really quickly. You know them all. And the reason they've got catchphrases, it's really funny when you read people writing about it, especially critics, they're very dismissive of it. And they go, it relied on catchphrases. And you went, welcome to comedy. Good morning. You stupid woman. I shall say this only once. Will nobody attend to me? What a mistake to make her. It is I, Leclerc. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. It's likely to understand how comedy works. And yeah. comedy works by familiarity. You need to know what everyone's going to do. Mm. And they are absolutely coded. I talked to Larry Rickard about ghosts, and he went, the great thing with ghosts is they're dressed in the outfits that they're going to behave like. Yeah. 
in Friends, they're all wearing the same clothes. Yeah. You have to establish who they are. He said, but the captain will be a captain and the scoutmaster will be a scoutmaster and the caveman will be a caveman. <laughs> he said, that is ensemble comedy. Yeah. This has got far more going for it in terms of you understanding what's going on, especially as a kid, mm. than Dad's Army or yeah. Grace Brothers, where they're all dressed the same. Yeah. This one, you know who everyone is because they're all stereotypes. And yeah. critics talk about it going, well, it relied on stereotypes and catchphrases. And you went, with pinpoint skill. But also... <laughs> catchphrases that are just there for the sake of it and are leaned on too heavily basically you've got Little Britain which you know had its good moments but comedically I don't think it stands the test of time at all whereas shows that have got a catchphrase that they get to but on the way there's really good plot and really good other jokes the catchphrases are a reward it is I Leclerc let's not forget how this was made because it's a parody it's Secret Army yes What are you doing here? What went wrong? Everything. There was a raid on the farm. The Luftwaffe police. Was Yvette there? No, she hadn't arrived. I don't think she even made contact with the three evaders. They must have panicked when they saw the Germans in the area. It Which is... one of them was in? Yeah, actually, several of the cast are in Secret Army. This gets put alongside the other Croft and Perry and Croft and Lloyd stuff as, oh, it's a cheesy, sexist, old-fashioned, racist um, British comedy. Were they saying that at the time or uh, not? It was dismissed at the time ago. This is a trashy BBC One thing. <laughs> The weird thing, I read an Onion AV Club piece about it this morning, like the hipsters of the hipsters, and they said, contains Monty Python-style accents. And you go, yeah, if you're not from Britain, mm. this is the same as Blackadder. Forgive me, Herr Blackadder. Please accept my apologies. This is the same as Monty Python. Mm. Well, what are you, then? I'm French! Why do you think I have this outrageous accent, you silly king? Mm. Weirdly, it is cheesy and old-fashioned and simplistic and pantomime. But so are a lot of the things that you, as a British person, think are highly sophisticated. Yeah. This is in a key, a parody key, that airplane and police squad are in, in places. Not all the time. It's not that classy. It's not aiming that eye. No. But it's not that different. You would have to be a real comedy snob to really care. What's this, then, eh? He's one of Lopez de Vega's latest plays, senor. (laughs) Toledo Tip Parade! sophistication there it's yeah, well done be. You, you it's can't. well done you cannot have a show that successful the trouble you have given us all uh, well take a good look my friends you will not see them again until after the war is over <laughs> how many seasons did it run for do you know nine seasons I think it's all run for, run for a decade watch a late one it goes distinctly off the boil but the beginning of it it's like a lot of these watch them again and you'll be surprised how good Heidi High is how good this is some of them aren't great I think Hello Hello stands up I think out of the canon it's pretty good that's kind of you to say to justify my ridiculous selection but I was happy for you to pick it (laughs) you didn't when when we were texting you said pick something and I said Hello Hello and I think I think you mistook my hello, hello for me saying on the Just WhatsApps, oh, hello, hello, looking forward to do something. <laughs> and then you were like, no, so what are you choosing? I'm like, no, no, hello, hello. I was just double-checking you being serious. Rather, <laughs> I thought you might be selling it as an ironic thing. I wouldn't be funny if I chose hello, hello. But I think yeah. it is a definitive comfort blanket because, as you said, the associations with communal laughter as a child. So much and so. The communal laughter of a whole country. And you will have lovely memories of this. Lovely, lovely memories of all of us watching it. Jokes I could understand. When you're a kid, adults are a different planet. And when you watch comedy with adults and you both laugh together, you realise that actually they're not. They're the same. They're just much bigger versions of you, bolder versions of you, fatter versions of you. And and Alolo really was that it was a connection between us. Let's not get into this now, but quite a shit childhood. But there was, and there wasn't a huge amount of affection and it was all quite middle class and repressed. So, so. 
moments like that where comedy becomes your common ground are really powerful. Rene, huh? if they shoot us, at least I will die by your side. If you died in front of me, I'd have a better chance. <laughs> That's a really important thing. I think knowing there's an opening into adults and adulthood that's accessible. Whatever it is you're watching with your parents that you both laugh at, especially if there's adult content in it. So this yeah. has got sexy but, stuff. And, follow Madonna with the big boobies. Uh, yeah, it's got sexy <laughs> stuff. It's got violence. It's got death. Yeah. It's got adult themes in it that you might go, oh, am I allowed to watch this? Yeah. You do love me, don't you? Of course I love you, Yvette, of course. Oh, oh Rene. Oh. What do you think it will be like in heaven? Well, I don't suppose they let us do this for a start. <laughs> And obviously, it's a family comedy. And I think that's massively underrated now that comedy is very niche and you watch your comedy and your kids might watch their own comedy. That past where you watched the comedy together because there was nothing on. So mm. things needed to unite a family around Well, thank it. God for ghosts. Exactly what ghosts and Taskmaster have been maybe during yes. lockdown. People have gone, oh, we're both laughing. And especially yeah. if you've got teenagers and things, the important thing for a teenager is to declare their own separate sense of humour. Yeah. And the most amazing thing is that during lockdown, we were all locked up together. We found there were a couple of programmes. Maybe we, community did it for us as well. Yeah. I know people who did it with Modern Family, that you found your show that you could watch together. Uh, yeah. And that's been missing. Brooklyn Nine-Nine's a good one to watch with yes. kids because it's like this big dark pantomime. I always feel like comedy is sort of like the you know, broccoli of the artistic <laughs> world. And we always have to go out and explain... Just on just how many levels and just how many vitamins there are in It's so good for you. It is so good. <laughs> so many things. It's good for your family relations. It's good for your mental health. It's good for your career. You also, educationally, you learn. I mean, this is a big It sugars thing. the pill. Look, I mean, if you look at the top shelf here in my study where we're recording, I do need to charge you rent for this space, by the way. Okay, fine. Um, is it five ninety nine a month? Uh, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> all Second World War stuff. Like, I have right. I've inherited this from my dad as well. Like, the Second World War fetish, which you get in a lot of very middle-class British people are obsessed yeah. with the Second World War. I am. I love it. I find it fascinating. And this was very, you know, I didn't know anything about the Second World War at eight years old. And I, you know, you would learn about it off the back of it. Who is this girl? Uh, she is a resistance girl on the run. A communist? I am a French woman fighting to free France. Of course. We must keep party politics out of this. Again, read the criticisms of this, and they go, it oh, it was controversial because it made light of the Second World War, and you go, no more made light than anyone in a concert party was making light of the Second World War while they were in ENSA fighting it. And these guys were from that background. That's why they made it Ain't Our Pop Mum. It's at the level of Hitler's only got one ball. Yeah. And that is how they got through. It is completely, weirdly respectful for the reality of that situation. Yeah. No one's going to... They might hit... Belittling yeah. any, any of that war. There's being hit by wet celery as a punishment, but that's a kink. It's not what's going to happen. He's going to get shot. Yeah. Can we get on with this, please? Oh, I nearly forgot. So they have something to aim at. <laughs> you Germans, such sticklers for accuracy. <laughs> There's no doubt they're frightened of the Gestapo. And, of course, it makes light of it with a gallows humour of people who went through this. You know, Colonel, it is quite pleasant to be a French uninsular. People smile at us. Mm. I think I prefer being a peasant to being a German. You'll be a dead peasant. Herr Flick finds out we've been helping British airmen to escape. These people who wrote this fought yeah. in this war. Yeah. So they are sort of allowed to do it. Definitely, definitely. And they are... 
Also, I mean, also, the other thing worth mentioning as well, there's a lot of gay people in this show. Like, yeah. Gordon Kay was gay, and lots of this... It, that's another thing we should get into, is how fucking camp the show is. <laughs> it's wildly camp. But, you know, these are people who would have been absolutely eliminated by the Nazis. There are there are endless reasons why the people making the show have a right to, to poke fun and find comedy in, in what happened. Good morning, Lieutenant. This is the man that shot me. He fancies me like mad. Perhaps it is the apron. Also, the thing that I've, I really took from it on a sort of very basic level was, you know, again, with what was going on in, in my life and my family, and there was all yeah. sorts of shit going down. I could see a show like that and think, well, if, if they can take all the shit going down and turn it into comedy, yeah. why can't I do the same thing? And that definitely shows like this. Yeah. Really, that really chimed. Ah, Herr Flick, welcome to my humble cafe. Let me take from you your sinister leather coat. It's a very different show watching it growing up to watching a sitcom about a family. Yeah. And it, obviously it is about family. All sitcoms are about a family, the little family of the cafe and how yes. they're going to survive. And there's a mum and a dad and that's, yeah, that's Rene, Rene. And it's a little sitcom family. But yeah. as a kid, when you watched it and you went, oh, I used to watch things like this and go, oh, good. It's not about a sitcom family. It's not about my family. It's not about real life. Mm. It's got what Red Dwarf had or Blackadder. It's set in a funny fantasy world. Yeah. It's set somewhere else. So I can watch them and I will draw conclusions and learn from it and get strength from it. Yeah. But I've, it's not like watching Grange Hill. It's not like That's watching right. EastEnders. I can lose myself in this world, which appears to be the scariest world possible mm. and completely safe. Yeah, you are distracted by all the stuff it's yeah a, you are yeah it's it's a hip, it's a form of hypnotism yeah. you're not realizing you're being told about your life it's a fantasy and yeah. and it's got the I, lo- I love the furniture of it and the way they play with it so that they've got these phrases mm. i love uh, <laughs> tony groove's little tank i am um, i was just out for a little spin <laughs> <laughs> and you go right well you can't have that if it's not set in the sick world but i have a little tank go on lieutenant say it what have you been ordered to do Drive my little tank from where it is parked into your garden at the back. What is so terrible about that? In a straight line. <laughs> Through your cafe. See. Oh, brilliant. So the furniture of this is tanks and wars and bombs and things can explode. Mm. And as a kid as well, the fact that there are bombs and murder makes it like the young ones. Yeah. I watched an episode where René has a false nose that's made of plastic explosive. René! Your nose is smouldering! And he throws the nose into the street and it explodes. It is plastic explosive. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, I want that to happen. His nose I, has just exploded. I want an exploding nose. That's, that's pure young yeah. ones. That's pure cartoon, pure goons. The Beano. Yeah, it's, it's, it's all probably, in that language. Yeah. And you're watching it with your parents. And it is still about the Second World War and mm. about something serious. Hair flick believes that you know the whereabouts of the sausage containing the real painting of the fallen Madonna. With the big... Correct. <laughs> he has given me the task of trying to wring this information out of you. I just wanted to sort of relate how... It is a comfort blanket for me, and it has a lot of meaning for me. And I could look back at the nine-year-old boy watching that, because, of course, at that age, I was desperate to be an actor, and I already right. knew I wanted to do comedy. 
two things happened. Number one, I got put on a Wikipedia of famous, doing big inverted commas there, pupils from my school, right? Ex-pupils from my school. And I looked on the list, and one of the other people who went to my school was Richard Marner, <gasps> who is Amazing. in a, a place, the, one of the generals, right? So that was a moment I went, oh my God, and you see these little things pop. And then I was at a Torchwood convention, which was a TV show I did years ago. And I went to a convention, and a lot of the cast of A Lower Low were at the convention. And what? I met. Oh my God. Are you lot. starstruck? I cannot tell you. <laughs> so I met, I met uh, Yvette, who plays Vicky Michelle. She was there. I like the fact you had them the wrong way around there. I met. They're real to you. Yvette, who <laughs> yeah, plays yeah. the actor. I met Kim Hartman, <laughs> Private Helga. Amazing. I met Richard Gibson, who plays Hair Flick, who I used to absolutely adore. Brilliant. Uh, Sue Hodge was there as well, who plays Mimi. Mimi. So. Uh, yeah, and they, do you know what? I met them in about 2011 or 12, it was, and they all looked exactly the same. Really? They were beautifully preserved. I guess they were, they'd been pickled by the joy that Aloha though, has put out there karmically, and they'd been given you know immor- immortality. But also, you can recognise them. They are types. They are so types. they've stayed their type. And they were delightful. They were in the time of their lives. And I just felt like I, I, I struggled. I wish I, I would love to play this podcast back to them now and say... Guys, this is what you meant. The reason I'm here as an actor is because I watched you guys and I love you. You will be my partner at the annual Gestapo dance in Berlin. First, there will be a banquet with the traditional boar's head, baron of beef, frankfurters, strudel, sauerkraut and oodles of beer. Did you feel that they were happy to be back together as a gang? It was at some convention in Nottingham. They were the happiest people <laughs> in Nottingham that day, let me tell you. So That's I really brilliant. wanted... I, uh, those are the two things I wanted to get across, that, the, you know, the personal stuff as well, I guess, is so important to the comfort. And when you get those little random moments where you feel like, you know, like the universe, mm. not to get too Noel Edmonds and manifesting, but the universe has just said, there you go, you know... And they seemed happy. So maybe it was a little thing, it was an insight within it to say that there's happiness in the story that they will escape on. But also these people got together and made something lovely and they're still happy to think about it and talk about it. They're still friends. Which is a great sign. Friends! (laughs) At midnight, you will be expected to dance the traditional Gestapo dance. How does it go, Heflick? I will demonstrate. (laughs) (laughs) You put your left boot in, you take your left One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The other thing as well, which I really like about it, is Gordon K turning to camera. I found that gorgeous, isn't it? I, I've always loved that. I remember when Miranda did it 
And I was like, oh, I've not seen this for ages. And I could never at the time put my finger on where it was that it lived very yeah. deeply in my subconscious, but it was watching a lower low. You see, I have to be nice to the Germans. They are my customers. They are winning the war. So if I am not nice to them, they will shoot me. I have to be nice to the resistance. I suppose they will shoot him for being nice to the Germans. <laughs> I have to be nice to my wife because if she finds out I'm having an affair with Yvette, she will shoot me. <laughs> and if Yvette finds out I'm having an affair with Maria, well, she will shoot me. At the beginning of every episode, the one I watched, he was... <laughs> he was dressed as a, a burlesque dancer dancing for the Nazis. And you may be asking why I'm dressed as a burlesque dancer. Yeah. That's how it starts! What a great... You may be asking why I'm dressed as a burlesque dancer. Do you know why that's in it? Number one, uh, I think Jeremy Lloyd certainly had written for Up Pompeii. Oh! Oh, you've arrived on washing day, oh dear. And Up Pompeii, Frankie Howard camp man who's constantly desired by women turns to camera and tells you what's going on. Yes. No, it's only a little joke. Don't worry about that one. Listen. No, actually, honestly, I must look a mess. I'm awfully sorry you caught me like this and my little pinny on. I'm ever so sorry. Number two, yes. this is pre-streaming, so you might have missed last week's episode. Mm. You might have been out at Cub Scouts or yeah. at a family wedding. Video so, he has, so he has to say what's going on. Now, Otto Flick, the Gestapo officer, is having dinner in the back room. Upstairs are two German officers in their underwear because I have borrowed their uniforms to help two British airmen to escape. The pianist over there is in fact a forger for the Marquis. And the German officer at that table fancies me. <laughs> and it is only Tuesday. And the other thing is, almost uniquely, let's give this credit, almost uniquely for any British sitcom, there's a continuing story. Yeah. And that which is there isn't in any other sitcom. Very unusual. Because they borrowed that from Secret Army. They've, bo they've literally borrowed the plot from Secret Army, like Just, Airplane borrowed Zero Hour. Yeah. They've stuck it over the top, so they need to tell you what's going on. But also that moment where he says you maybe are. <laughs> <laughs> the thing I really appreciated about it is it begins the episode and he's doing the kicks, doing the can-can, and it's all really well-timed. Yeah. They're all dancing to his lines. He's got to get his lines. But I, I really appreciated the craft of that and how hard they're all working and that's something which again you see having having acted in comedy and acting yeah. in, in serious stuff in the serious stuff the actors are pissing around and then we roll and then everyone goes serious and in comedy everyone is being very serious making sure they hit uh -huh. their marks and get their timing and then they piss around when the cameras roll so wow. it's something i've always observed and you really see it there like the craft of it you yeah. just timed those looks and that dance with your lines and you've hit the mark and you've looked right down the barrel and, and you've been really funny and now we cue credits. And you're Let's like, appreciate oh. what's going on. I mean, yeah. you're watching something. Everyone in here, particularly the, the writing team, the, the production team, the, the, those people, they've come from live theatre and yes. stage shows yes. and army stage shows and the cast what this is is a pantomime they've done rap as well they? they've done all the stuff this is, a, this is a show this is a pantomime it's got the rhythms of pantomime the turning to camera is from pantomime that conspiracy with the audience is pure panto and when this is exported overseas yeah. other countries go wow this is brilliant where did this come from and you go oh you don't have pantomime yeah this is a perfect pantomime with all the things that make pantomime work mm. this is a drilled military unit to make yeah. you laugh all our cultural these mini institutions that we have, like rep and stuff like that, and panto, yeah, and and like I say, when you read it, you forget how instantly it goes straight through the filters, and you just understand it. And him looking down the barrel, and then tragically as well. And there's so again, there's so much to talk about around a lower low because Gordon K, of course, was the 
1987 storms. Yes, he was very, very badly injured. Very badly injured on his head, and he had big scarring, and it affected his eyes and all sorts of stuff. A piece of wood about that long, whatever that is in centimetres, with a sharp point, thwacked through the windscreen and embedded itself there. Yes, you can see the yeah. Don't do close-ups, please. <laughs> so, and his mood as well, much like when with Rick Mail, of course, who went oh flipped on his quad bike. Yeah. So he went back to doing this high-pressure stuff with, as I understand it, quite serious mental health issues because of those injuries that he sustained. He had Bloody no, hell. he couldn't remember his lines. He had no patience. For but the show must go on. The show must go on in that old school. You know, where this is the show. We're on tour. No one can step in for you. You're narrating the whole thing, and also not particularly famous for anything else. Yeah. yeah, you know he did that, and I'm not sure there was any other big roles either side. Yeah, he's totally associated with this one role, and he's commanding in it. Yeah, it's his show. That's why he talks yeah. at the beginning. He is in the same position as the dame is in a panto. He's there. Mm. He's commanding. It's on his terms. Yeah, it's only a handful of my friends here. I thought you said the old village of Nuvion was turning out to mourn my passing. Nuvion Rangers are playing away. <laughs> I love the fact he's this slightly sort of strange-looking, tall, gonky bloke who every woman loves. Yeah. <laughs> he gets to play that part. It's such a good joke. The men can't leave him alone. The women can't leave him alone. And the joke being, for British people, oh, French people are just, oh, they all just love each other. It's just sexy. So, like, when you see the bit when uh, Gruber, who fancies him, <laughs> and all Gruber's... And I hadn't watched it for years, right? And I put it on, and there's just a bit with Gruber looking at René, and he does this thing with his mouth. He just puts it to one side, and it slants up. Oh. It's, the, it's the sexy smile thing. <laughs> And I just started laughing because I just remembered. And, you know, we have to be careful about this. I'm not laughing at the idea of a man fancying a man. And I wasn't as a kid at all, in fact. I was laughing at how it was so unrequited and so absurd and so, like, the statuses were all wrong here. And It's a Daphne and Niles. It's it's a will-they-won't-they. You French people, you have some very nice jewellery. Thank you. I have a trinket that is much admired. Really? Can I show it to you? If you must, yes. I remember as a kid kind of wanting Gruber to get René, because well, he seemed to be worthy of him. I'm not He's a nice guy. Very <laughs> conscious of, 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 again, you know, these shows, talking about the gay thing, you know, I... I think I knew what it was at that age. This is like the 1980s. The the big Colin plot was in EastEnders. And my parents were horrible. They would say horrible phrases about gay people. We didn't know any gay people and stuff like that. It was vile. And I can remember being on his side. You know what I mean? I can remember that not presenting them as absurd or pompous or cartoony, but lovable and real. It has a picture inside. Oh. Look. Oh, yes, what... What lovely long blonde hair. Yes, isn't it? Unfortunately, he had to have it cut off when he joins the army. <laughs> It sounds like I'm leaning a lot into a low, a low, but it was there. It's how I felt. I really there's a, there's a strange respect for everyone's sex drives in this. Yes! Kink <laughs> is fine. Yvette will be in room six in one hour with the vet celery and the flying helmet. <laughs> <laughs> and the feather duster? Two. <laughs> Queer is fine. Are you one of them? <laughs> really? It was very lonely on the Russian front. <laughs> Everyone, and the joke mm. being that we are used to sort of sexy French farces. Let us have one embrace. Oh, very well. Mm. Oh. 
and they've done an English version of a sexy French farce is that everyone's doing everybody. Why is Yvette got on her pea shaving soap? And it's it's all fine. Yeah. It's kind of 60s and a bit wild. (laughs) I remember there's a sort of theatrical camp around it, which is also to do with theatrical gay. And I remember growing up, my parents weren't particularly in favour of of, of queer culture. Mm. But we loved Julian and Sandy and Round the Horn and things. And there was a thing that everyone had come from the theatre had then gone and made programmes and TV programmes and radio programmes, which featured gay subtext and gay characters in a much more open way than the actual wider culture had them. Because you kind of went, oh, this is just theatre people. They're How fine absurd with it was that things like <laughs> Section 28 and all that stuff was going through Same at the time, time when yeah. all our cultural icons were obvious, obviously being gay and yeah. brilliant. Is he one of us? No, he's one of them. Please, do not tell everybody! This is a, a, the inclusion of everybody in that cast, because the lusts for Rennie have to come from all angles. Yeah. I find it really hard to read it and go, this is... All the things people say, it's racist and sexist, and go, no, weirdly, it's not. It's playing with those ideas. Mm. But I don't think it is... It's repeatable and watchable and enjoyable without any cringe, mm. which is weird, because it should be worse. In a way that you might watch the worst excesses of Carry On and go, they're a bit leering. Things. Yeah. Weirdly, this doesn't feel it. It feels like everyone's completely fine with it. Yeah. The cast yes. looks happy. <laughs> That's very, very true. That's very, very true. The thing I keep thinking about, which made me laugh but then feel bad for laughing, was the uh, <laughs> running joke with his with his wife. When uh, it's so funny when she said she said I can't be outside with all these German all these soldiers they will they will ravish me I, and Rene just looking straight down the yeah. barrel like like how could they possibly be attracted to her which is such a cruel joke because there's nothing wrong with her but it was beautifully played but it's all done within the rules of theatre who is that he will ask it is the rich widow Atwas they will reply oh how young and slender she looks I must pay my respects to her he will say and maybe tomorrow morning he will be at my door Bearing a beautiful bouquet of sweet-smelling roses. Provided his guide dog can find the house. <laughs> it feels weird. It feels formal. It feels like if, if this was... If you put opera in this, it would yeah. be regarded as commedia dell'arte. Yes. It is a, it's so traditional. You know that, that Gordon Kay and Common Severa are fine. Yeah. They are as attractive as each other. Yes. But the rules are that the man in this thing must hate his wife in a yes. Basil and Sybil kind if of way. If she was disgustingly ugly making that joke, you wouldn't laugh. No. But she's not. She's clearly absolutely, you know... She normal. She's an attractive camera an attractive performer. Camera. Right. So the idea of, so so Rene looking cross makes me laugh at Rene for being cross, not at her for yeah. being ugly. And that's that's his it. And that's they, really clever. They occupy slots like chess pieces. They have roles, they have moves they can do. Yeah. And you will never be confused by that. And you will drop in. And even though they are borrowing the plot of Secret Army, no one's gonna change or grow. No one's gonna die. They yeah. threaten death. None of the things that will happen in drama that would leave you discombobulated or lost or distressed yeah. they are locked into like little models on a on a swiss clock mm. onto their tracks and movements they will never surprise you no. and that is delightful wonderful and, and yet there are still so <laughs> even though they're locked in there are still so many like a game of chess infinite moves infinite games happen. yes totally they built the most perfect machine yeah. And they could set it going every week. It would take them a day to write it, not because they were lazy, but because they'd work that machine so it would not fail. Yeah, the preparation was there, like <laughs> painting a room. They'd you done could all write the fan fiction. Tape. You can write fan fiction. This works as well as Star Trek does. They're working yeah. in Star Trek fan fiction. It's an unbreakable crew. Yeah. It's an unbreakable team. They bounce off each other perfectly. The skill so is in the building of it. And also not fucking it up. Don't fuck with the system. Don't fuck with the traditions. Yeah. <laughs> what part of France do you come from? 
I am half Etulian. <laughs> Etulian? Etulian. I was brought up in nipples. The other thing as well which we haven't really talked about is the accents. Oh, which is a what really... What a good joke. We're, so obviously you've got the English policeman who Crabtree, is... Crabtree. Arthur Bostrom. Arthur Bostrom. Arthur Bostrom. Oh. Who I think not, not so long ago, he started... He had an Insta account. And he was very active on social media. <laughs> very funny, very it. nice. But he was writing as... Yeah. Oh, it's Crabtree. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. It was. I think it was something like Officer Crabtree on Twitter. Oh, and they made him, I think they made him take it down. But so the accents, the, the idea that... <laughs> In order to speak French, you just had to put on an accent. I don't speak French as such, but I gave it a kind of uh, uh, European bit of an accent. Yep. I just found absolutely thrilling. It was almost a sci-fi element to that, like you were, like there was yeah. a universal translator that was happening. And I know that's a ridiculous thing to say. Are you expecting us by any chance? <laughs> what does he say? I don't know. I don't speak English. <laughs> it felt like, again... And this is what's key to good comforting stuff. You're going into a secret world. Yeah. You are two days too soon. Too soon. What's he going on about? I think he wants your watch before he lets us in. There's not many people in on this. And you're, you know, you're sort of almost eavesdropping. And the joke that Crabtree comes in and he's... (laughs) He can't speak The great joke is it's a joke about English exceptionalism. He hasn't bothered to learn the language. He's he's at risk of dying or exposing people and he hasn't bothered to learn French. He's a man shouting at a Spanish waiter to ask for an omelette. Oh, it's that English idiot who thinks he can speak our language. Good die to you. (laughs) I mean, it's such a good joke about the English. Make no mistake, this does not come from a place of English superiority. No. This is very much... It says we're arses. Yeah, with stupid moustaches, you know, yeah. and, and it does it so, so well. No, we must wait until the war is over. But the war might go on forever. No, no, the British will set us free one day. It may take years, but they will come. Hello? <laughs> Yes, but it will take more than two before I tell the why. <laughs> I read a, an obit of uh, Jeremy Lloyd this morning, and I, I won't shame the writer, but it said in it, it said, Crabtree speaks in a, a, a mangled franglais for no apparent reason. And I went, oh, you're no. the only person on earth who didn't get that joke. Can I get you a cognac? No, I am not allude to drunk when I am on dirt. <laughs> there's a strange thing, people are always happy to say they didn't get a joke in a way they would never say I didn't follow the plot for something. That's absurd. There's no shame in not getting comedy and blaming the writers for getting it wrong. And I went, no, it's one of the greatest jokes in British comedy. That's, Crabtree. It is one of the most, it's like an iconic. Yeah. Children it, understood that. That's my point, and that's what got me into it, exactly. But... The, the sort of the idea that it was for no apparent reason that's like saying well this drummer's in this band and he's hitting the drums for some for no reason apparent re- like it's part of the orchestra of the whole yeah. thing and know, he knowing that. he's going to come he's a favourite bit yeah and, and that's very true as well and you can you know that's that's great writing when you can get to a moment where you go right let's get Crabtree in yeah. and all, all he's got to do all he's got to do Joel you know you're winning in comedy right? <laughs> and, and you know from doing stand up I've had this a few times where you've got a bit where you don't even need to speak. Yeah. You just stand there. Listen very carefully. We shall sing this only once. <laughs> shine on, shine on, Avi's moon. Up in the school. <laughs> 
and Crabtree <laughs> can open yeah. the door and just stand there and you'll cut to Rene and you will laugh. Yeah. And that's very rare. Shine on harvest moon for me and my ghoul. <laughs> Look at the way this is staged as well, because we're talking about people who've got stage training and this yes. being a classic studio, multi-camera audience sitcom. One of the things that's great about it, which is it has got in common with Blackadder and Monty Python, is these are review-trained or stage-trained people. So when someone's acting, everyone's acting. Mm. It's an ensemble. And when you put them in the frame, they're all doing something. Mm. So someone can be standing to one side waiting for their line, and you'll go, oh, delight. Can't you entertain him? How can I? My salary isn't even good enough for soup. Flick <laughs> <laughs> of the Gestapo is paying his bill. Flick says he's going to search the building. He will find the painting of the fallen Madonna by Van Klomp in the cellar. No, no, the painting has gone, but so too are the uniforms of the colonel and your captain. If they find the colonel and the captain in their underwear, this could make the Gestapo suspicious. Oh, and that's interesting. I think that's something we've lost more recently because of budget. Yeah. You know, you're not paying extras. You're paying lead characters who will all be charging their day rate to be there. Oh, he's in this episode. So she, so she, so she. Everyone's in that episode. And in those days, those contracts, you'd be getting paid handsomely to do that. Yeah. And they just don't have budget. These days, what you'll do is say, well, let's take these two people and put them in a room. And we'll say, well, it's all right. We'll set this outside with some people walking past who aren't in the show. And and you look at the cafe in a lower low. All your friends are there. And that... You look at yeah, the cafe and it's, reassuring. it's like one of those um, cartoons you see on the roof of a dentist with a million different things going on. Yeah. What it's busy. It's busy and there's a thousand things going on. What it reminded me of a lot watching this again, and it has got something in common with it, is Asterix. Mm. And it's the busy village. There's lots going on. You can watch people coming in. It's like reading a cartoon as a kid, yeah. that the frame is busy with people. But, and this comes back to the central premise of this fucking podcast, which is it's comforting because I'm leaving my world behind. Yeah. I'm leaving the stuff here and the rainy you know, Saturday night in 1989. <laughs> and I am in France during the war. This is the, this is the magic of well-written good art, is that the, the clarity of it just it just works. The willing suspension of disbelief, even an eight or a nine-year-old... Yeah. It's done. I'm afraid there was a slight delay, Colonel. The tailor had to go to a bar mitzvah. A Jewish tailor? (laughs) Whatever that means. What's lovely about this is that what's wrong about it when you read Mm. criticism of it is what's right about it. Yeah, that's right. They use all these stereotypes. Yes, because it was sophisticated enough to know that the audience knew those stereotypes, knew they were stereotypes, knew we were playing a game. It played completely by the rules of how comedy works, how theatre works, how farce works, yes. how panto works. It's not made a mistake in using a series of outrageous uh, comedy accents. What a mistake of the maker. That's part of what they built to make it work. Yes. It is a completely sealed world. And don't forget, it's meant to comfort you. It's yeah. meant to be comforting. They have taken Secret Army a tense drama show. They have borrowed, I didn't realise I looked this up, they borrowed the plots and storylines of Secret Army. So, the, so, the forger plays the piano. They borrowed the characters from Secret Army. It's completely so airplane, how, what, what complete the, police squad. What are the legal ramifications of borrowing Secret Was that also a BBC show? Uh, that- I don't know, but, as in, but they didn't use the actual... But in terms of borrowing the plots and things, they yeah. said, look, it ain't broke, don't fix it. They've taken something which was tense and edgy and dramatic and for grown-ups. Yeah. And they've boiled it in a lovely comedy cauldron to remove all the threat. Yes. So it has the same thrill and stories as Secret Army, but you feel completely safe. And how brilliant's that? And they're failing. Yeah. They fail and they fail and they fail. And do you know what when they fail? They shrug and go, oh well, we're still here in this world. And that yeah. is real life. Yeah, it's so comforting to know. Um, fail, fail. We're not going to get out. The airmen, every now and again, maybe once a series, the airmen <laughs> would make it. Or there's a lovely moment with the airmen stuck in the um, bin lorry and they're supposed to be dropped off. Yeah, very complicated, very, very involved. <laughs> 
you know, proper sort of Akeborn-esque, you yeah. come over here, you do this, you come then, people getting it wrong, people failing, which is what we do in real life. Yeah. And to be able to laugh at failure is, I mean, the most British thing, the most important thing. Will there be anything else, Hans? Uh, yes, Colonel. We shall require a pair of pliers and some rubber hose. Oh, no, not the pliers and the rubber hose. No, I will tell you everything I know. Just so we can get the gas poker working. It's an incredibly comforting thing to find out that the great drama that you sometimes feel you ought to be living, mm. where there's movement and change and success and a place to be heading, what sitcom tells you, especially sitcom that is based over the top of drama like this, yeah. it tells you that you will end up in exactly the same place yes. you started off. You won't change. Your friends will always be... Your friend who you're annoyed about because they won't share their cake, they'll never share their cake. Don't expect them to change. Yeah. This is a lovely thing that says, look, the little tribe you found yourself fallen with, whether they're your family or your friends or your workmates, yeah. they'll always be themselves. Yeah. Don't expect them to change. And also, don't expect to end up heading somewhere amazing. The, the only thing you're meant to be doing is escaping, yeah. and you're always tunnelling out and coming back where yeah. you started. Yeah. That is what life feels oh like. God, enjoy futility, guys. Because you'll it's be all so futile. running around in little circles. The plan is as follows. I will commandeer the French refuse collecting vehicle. I will drive the vehicle into the camp. I will be in disguise. You will pardon my asking, but will not your guards be suspicious to see a rubbish cart driven by a nun? It is regarded as a failing of this, but only a failing if you're comparing it to the drama Secret Army. And I'd like to point out something. Neither you or I have ever fucking watched Secret Army, no. and I'm not going to, no. but I will watch Hello, Hello, because the drama isn't as much fun yes. as the comedy. How many podcasts are there about Secret Army? Don't fucking write in. None. No Don't one's picked it. it. You can escape by climbing into the drone coop. There is no room for the two of us inside the poop. Point two, we already have a plan to escape. You mean to escape? Do not tell me how to speak my own language. Now stuff yourself inside the drain pipe and go. Very rarely do you watch it and go, well, that's a bit much. Yeah. <laughs> and yet, and yet, spoiler, it is a bit much. Yeah. The things they're coming up with are absurd and ridiculous. No. But there's something about... Are you telling me there wasn't really an exploding nose in the, in the French resistance? <laughs> but why is that? Like, like there's a thing you say, you know, when you're writing comedy and, and you're trying to write a sitcom and, and the, the sort of the pushback you'll get is, well, what show are you writing here? Are you writing the cartoony version or are you writing a yeah. flashback thing or are you writing a thing where anything can happen? And, you know, the, this is a cartoon, hello, hello, because hmm. anything can happen and yet you never have that moment. It's the big rule, isn't it, with comedy where you go, oh, well, I don't quite... I don't, really, I don't really buy that. General von Klingerhofen! <laughs> batteries have been stolen from a miniature submarine. Whoever has those batteries in their possession will be shot. René, which one of them has the batteries down his trousers? This sets out its audience contract at the beginning. The moment that René is dressed in something stupid, he turns to you and tells you. So you go, oh, that isn't quite real. Yeah. I, also, him turning to you, he is telling you you're safe. Yes. Because this isn't real. So it doesn't matter if the Nazis are doing something horrible. These are the real Nazis. They are going to kill you. Yes. You're going to be shot at dawn. <laughs> but don't worry, I'm not going to be, because yeah. this is a play. Yeah, yeah. And again, that's very sophisticated. That is Shakespearean. You're leaning out and saying, you're safe to watch this. You understand the rules. Yeah. I find the thing with relentless realism, rather than the joyful abstraction that this comedy can do, yeah. is it's kind of saying, we don't trust you. Yeah. Whereas the moment anything says, here are a series of quite complicated rules about accents and yeah. caricature and, and plotting, 
And the audience go, yeah, I got that. Well, an eight-year-old gets it straight away. This is in, I think it's Robert McKee, isn't it? Good story. A two-year-old will understand a good story. Yeah. If you're, it's your, it's on you. It's, it's all about your clarity and your rules that you need to define. And this show does that yeah. exceptionally well. It never um, lets you down. It tells you what it's going to do and then it doesn't. Yeah. And people look at that and go, well, it's a bit predictable. And you go, yeah, well, yeah. how hard is it to make something surprising and predictable? <laughs> that exactly. is the craft. Exactly. So every, and, and it always comes back to land. And it is, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it's absolutely brilliant. Do you have the money? Yes, we have the money. Do you have the sausage? It's unbreakable as well. I've got a lovely story. Julia, my wife, we were in the countryside one day in a village and nailed to a, a lamppost was the Finchingford players will be presenting Allo Allo for their Christmas show. And it was like June or something. We went, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and Julia phoned everyone she knew and said, we're going to go and see Allo Allo in a little village oh hall. It'll be incredible. And she phoned up for tickets and the woman went, oh, no one's ever phoned this early before. And they got the first three tickets and they sat at the front row and I said, what was it like? She went, absolutely incredible because it's unbreakable. Yeah. You can cast it with enthusiastic amateurs. Yes. And the machinery is so perfect. It's Teflon, isn't it? And I said, was it much different than the TV? She went, not different enough. Yeah. Because they've set it up so that you can do it. So did they just do one episode? Is that what they, or one There's, bit? There was a stage play version of it that I think the guys ah, wrote so right. it could go around and it could be given to Amdram companies. Right, right, But the right. point being, and I said, well, how did, I said, well, it's pantomime. The slightly middle-aged tubby guy in the village got to be... Miraculously attractive to everyone. And I said, was he loving it? He, said, he was loving yeah. it. And I think that's the achievement of it, is of course yeah. it's down to this incredible cast. Mm. That's your blue chip cast. Yeah. But the... The second division players can still do it because yeah. the game just works. Because it's a game. It's a, it's a board game. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Absolutely. It's Cluedo and it doesn't matter really. I mean, of course it does. They're all brilliant. But you're absolutely right. You're but... seeing the best version of it possible. The platonic yes. ideal of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. But you could do this oh, in the playground. Amazing. And I wonder, I mean, you know, there's a test, right? There's a, a test you should put in your next book, Joel. How many sitcoms can you see a village saying, we are putting on Mrs. Brown's Boys? Yeah, You know, how many? I mean, there's an elephant in the room as well. Mrs. Brown's Boys, I guess you could compare in terms of what the role of the show was. Saturday night, studio, accessible, commercial, mainstream. And yet Mrs. Brown's Boys, I know people love it, but... I can give you a secret way into that. I went to go and see it live. And I had to go and see it. Had to. To believe it. To, to go and see how it worked. Yes. And I suddenly went, oh my God, this is a village hall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the yeah, deal yeah. is, there's the dame, the dame's in charge, yeah. and the rest of the cast... Let's be honest, some of them are just his mate and his dentist and his accountant. And it's not a disadvantage because it was pure panto in the sense that, oh, it's the postman. Yeah. And I think there's a thing about comedy people don't understand is that people love to watch their friends do comedy. Yeah. To be able to see through the, the, the character to say that's, well, in a terms of panto or in terms of Mrs. Brown's boys, that's clearly his mum. That's his mm-hmm. wife. That's his dentist. I can see they're putting on an act. You want to be as cl- you want to be as close to them as possible. You want the connection, and and if you and see to know them, as, them, yeah, and to know them. But if you see them as real people, both as actors and as their characters, you feel even closer to them. And the closer you are to someone, and then you've got good jokes, the better it's going to work. Because then you're sitting around a table in a pub together, like yeah. And it's there's a communality and a trust and a yeah. knowing of people. And some of it is saying. Very often in comedy, you kind of go, well, I don't want to lose myself in a comedic performance. You can be an Alec Guinness or a Peter Sellers, and that could be like, you're an astonishing chameleon. Mm. But really, I want to watch Rick Mayle being Rick Mayle. Mm. I, want, so, I want to watch people be themselves. I want them to be. What Carry On is, is a, is a Commedia dell'arte with a series of village players who yes. always play the randy old man, the big tall guy, yes. the, the, the sort of sexy woman. Yes. You can see the people playing those people. Is it a reach to try and suggest that a low, a low was a crossover point where... where 
where as Carry On began to fade away, there was still huge amounts of, of yeah. the legacy of Carry On and all those things you've just described, but also a slightly newer way of doing comedy yeah. as well. You know, looking down the barrel and and slight, maybe more sophisticated jokes. It's a very dark right? Carry On. Carry On never did a, a wartime one that had all this stuff in it. Yeah. And it, it pushes it towards Mel more Brooks story. and Lubitsch and story. Carry On didn't really no. give a shit about story as much as Alolo no. really cared about good story because they knew that was the way to... Yeah, and, they, and they're borrowing in. that story. I mean, as a masterclass in how to write comedy stories, I've always said this, you can do as many jokes as you want to oh. on the top line, that's your melody, yes. but the bass and drums have just got to be really straight yes. underneath it. So there's no point at which they say they're going to murder him and instead he has to have sex with a pantomime horse. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. mean they're going to murder him. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. don't you don't kill him by... by dro- I mean, they don't even do a thing where they might kill him by dropping loads of jam on him. They kill him with bullets. <laughs> yeah, they threaten. Yeah. So all that stuff stays so real. The sit is very, very important. Yeah. A dog has just apprehended the Gestapo sausage. <laughs> Arrest him! <laughs> but, but going back to this idea of the LOLO test, so that's interesting, <laughs> so the, the, which we are now going to uh, copyright. Yeah. So Mrs. Brown's Boys, you go and see it, obviously with the main guys and the actual actors doing it. But what I'm fascinated by with Julia watching LOLO yeah. with new actors, <laughs> how many sitcoms could yeah. you get a Red Dwarf with only four people, get four locals... And put them in. I don't think so. No. I low, I low. I think because the story is, there's something about it. And I wish I had the intelligence to grip on to what that is. But there's something about the world that that you can do that. But you can't do that with, I don't need to do Blackadder because Ron Atkinson no. is so important. Yeah, And this I, isn't to diminish someone like Gordon Kay, but it's just the... Maybe it's that it's a parody. Maybe there's, there's something about yes. this, which is like an end of term review where you're doing a, a funny version of Batman. Yes, as in because it is, we are all we also know Second World War dramas. And again, let's go back to saying this is this is regarded in a hierarchy of comedy as somehow beneath Monty yes. Python. You went all the Monty Python films are a thing, a story you knew from school, yeah. Jesus or King Arthur, yeah. and loads of people come in with outrageous accents and ask about the silly exactly hats on. Oh, this, I mean, we all know this what... is lowbrow compared to that, but this is still it's not the University Comedy Boys one. That's this right, is it's class again. You, you know this yeah. this fucking shadow that sits across all British life and comedy, especially is class. Yeah. So they were all the Oxford, they were all the Cambridge boys doing Monty Python. Love them, of course. But this lot weren't. They were working actors who weren't necessarily the same. And the writers, David Croft is posh and went to a nice school. Hmm. Jeremy Lloyd left school at 13. He Not- had a horrible, brutal relationship with his parents, was sent away to a horrible boarding school, was pulled out of the boarding school by his dad and sent to work in Grace Brothers. He was a shop worker from the age of about 13, 14. So there's a lovely class mix in this, in the writing. There's a nice posh guy who the, the BBC will trust. Yes. And someone who was, Jeremy Lloyd was a, a jobbing actor. He's yes. in Beatles films and things like that. He was Exploding in, nose, please. Yeah. And yeah. there's this mixture of, and, but, and also that lovely thing of they've both been through the war where those classes were mixed up yes. and he fought alongside each other. Yes. And there's a lovely earthy these people know how to get a laugh because they have done it for a bunch of tired squaddies and they've done it in music halls they have they have earned their stripes that's interesting isn't it i wonder how many and when i think about it my grandparents we lived with my grandparents at the time in the 80s and they my grandfather was born in 1898 he fought in both wars and he i don't did he start them both he (laughs) they his fault it's suspicious he's in both of them. I'm just saying, I mean, is <laughs> the clue in plain sight. He moved to Korea in the 1950s. <laughs> oh, my God. Went on a gap year to Vietnam. Oh, shit. He's just trouble. Anyway, sorry, down. carry on. Carry on. Um, and they, you know, they were in their sort of very old people wing of our house. And they were surrounded by very old books about the war, which they fought in. And they didn't. They never came and watched any of this stuff. Right. So I wonder, much as I try, I'm trying to reach for this sort of idea of communality and all recognising right. it. In our house, certainly, it felt there was an element of me and my dad giggling at 
what had happened to my granddad, which is a brutal way of putting it, but it was like we were being naughty by yes. laughing at it. And it is, there's that sort of tweaking the nose thing that uh, Spike Milligan dressed as Hitler all the time. Yeah. And maybe there are people who didn't want to laugh at it. Yeah. And I wonder, you know, maybe it's easy for us to say, maybe the reason we didn't laugh, we could laugh at it because it was set in France and it wasn't our experience. Whereas if yeah. you did a, a sitcom about the resistance, you know, something you still don't make jokes about in France now to this yeah. day, you know, their wounds are very long lasting. Maybe it would have been a very, very problematic thing. I think critics get this wrong. It's not set in France in the resistance. It's set in secret army. Mm. It's set in the games we played in the playground. It's set yes, in. It is. Yes. It's set in the films we watched. And there's a there's a lovely shift. I think Al Murray uh, isolated this. Said there's a shift in how the war is depicted in British war movies from them during the war depicting it as heroically as possible. I should like to add that there isn't one of you that I wouldn't be proud and honoured to serve with again. Afterwards, saying we're slightly traumatised. We'll talk about death a bit more honestly. The only villain is the sea, the cruel sea. But man has made more cruel. And then it hits about 1965 and it becomes a place to play. You are about to share every fantastic step of the most daring mass escape ever conceived in the mind of man. I got three Shermans outside. His name's Oddball. A Sherman can give you a very nice edge. From the company that brought you The Dirty Dozen and the author who gave you The Guns of Navarone, where eagles dare. Yeah. Like kids do. Like we go, ak, 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 you're dead. And we grow up yeah. going, the Nazis are just targets, they're baddies to shoot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's yeah, no yeah. actual politics to it. There's no actual sense of, it becomes a playground yeah. where there's a memory that there was this big adventure we didn't go on. But mm. it's consumed entirely through battle, picture library. And that's just time, isn't it? People like my grand, my, my grandpa's probably not the best example because he was just, like I say, very, very fighty. That's why he yeah. couldn't you know, sit with us. But I wonder, <laughs> He would have started a war downstairs. So his own war, exactly. one man war. The War of Monmouth in 1989, <laughs> the Second World War, it sits in, across all our lives. Certainly yeah. my generation, you know, my, both my grandfathers fought in it. My mum's dad was a spy and he, really? he was one of the first Western soldiers into Berlin in the hours after the Russians had gone and killed and Hitler was dead and they'd burnt Hitler's body and my grandfather got into Hitler's bunker and was wow. there when it was in the hours and days after the Russians had gone and this was a family story that was handed around and then my grandfather had fought in both wars so it it was a sort of way <laughs> sounds absurd but I guess to a nine-year-old that's what it was of thinking well it does all look quite fun yeah I'm glad they had fun do you know what yeah. I mean? It was a sort of connection. You missed the great adventure is the thing. I mean, you're mm. a similar generation to me. And the big thing about being, if you came after the boomers yeah. and you came after the greatest generation, yeah. all you were told is you missed it. Yeah. And one of the things you can do is either give no respect to that generation or have all the fearful stuff about it, as it sounds frightening, yeah. made safe. But that is, Joel, this is the, I mean, this is, again, taking it back to the personal. This is the story of my life. I'm eight and ten years younger than my brothers. So by the time I turned up, I missed the good times, the good yeah. holidays, all the nice stuff. My brothers were getting ready to leave uni by the time I became eight, nine, ten. And so that really resonates. What's just happened? I, I, I feel like, psychologically, I've always walked into a room and everyone's just gone. And I'm like, hang on, what's just gone on here? That is my state of mind. Yeah. So this... <laughs> feels like i was seeing it i was watching the cctv and a safe packaging of it it's another way of processing collective grief and anxiety but you mm. can process that through comedy people did at the time yeah yeah if you're yeah. aware of things like the wipers times the the newspaper that was printed in the trenches yes this is the ian hislop did the uh, play about it, yeah it? and it's Dundas great you can get a volume of it and it's full of the onion style jokes yeah. about it and these people were moving a printing press they'd salvaged from a from a French town from trench to trench. You're going, well, I thought they were just being shot at all the time. No, they had enough time to make private eye in oh, the amazing. trenches. Because laughing at drama 
is a human response. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And actually, it's a good thing to tell kids to go, no matter how scary it will be, yeah. if there is another war, you'll be laughing as well. <laughs> Hitler has only got one <laughs> And yet, and here's the great thing about it, it, so you get all the comfort, and it's also got the great rule of any good theme tune, you can sing the name of the show over the theme tune. Oh. Written by the writers, so they knew what the rules were. Hello, 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 riff. hello, 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 hello on hello. TV. <laughs> <laughs> it's a rule, right? Yeah. You've got to be able to do that. So here we go, the same refrain, the final encore. You are my love, my only love, once more. You are my love, my only love, once more. <laughs> That's very important. Uh, also, it was my uh, phone ring for about ten really? years, and again, it's a, it was a not so much a dog whistle as a fire alarm to any other hello hello fans because doing stand up comedy from the age of about twenty to thirty, I think it was my phone ring, and finding other stand ups who went, I love that show, brilliant. Not, they were quite few and far between because of yeah. you know cultural comedic snobbery, so that was always nice. But also the fact that I can now watch it for the purposes of comfort, for the purposes of preparing for this podcast. And within three minutes, I'm going, oh, my God. Sending you a picture. I sent you a yeah. picture, didn't I, the other day of their plan to jump over the wall of the year. <laughs> but, you know, sure enough, here's a barrel. They're going to put a plank over it. Rennie's going to jump off a roof. Yeah. And- One, two, three. <laughs> we need a stronger plank. Good thinking. Yeah, the, the guy's going to fly over the fence. And I'm already snortling. Yeah. It's brilliant. That's ridiculous. Mm. And there is a real problem with comedy that when you say, that's ridiculous, someone goes, yes, so I shouldn't have done that. And you go, no, that's why they did it. Yeah. They know. But also... The, the, <laughs> they did it deliberately. The that's thing, how it works. The thing that sits across this, of, uh, you know, it's a, it's a pretty um, powerful word with World War II paraphernalia, escape, right? Escape. Yeah. The beating heart at the middle yes. of the show. And with a lot of sitcoms, of course, is escape. But uh, there's a difference. A lot of sitcoms, people are trapped. But escape is a more desperate word. They are desperate to escape their marriage their war yes. their country they need or they have escaped and they need to get back to their country. escape 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 and as a result yeah. with escape comes desperation yeah and with desperation comes absurdity if yes. i am desperate to get out of the house and someone says the only way you're getting out of the house is by putting a <laughs> plasticine blow up nose on i'm going to do that yeah it's the desperation and so you need all that reality to make the comedy happen that was a narrow escape Narrow escape. We are locked up in a prisoner of war camp. The cafe opens for dinner at seven. And your mother has the keys to my till. That's a brilliant point. It's a farcical comedy set at a time when the desperation will be at its height. People are trying to escape. The, the airmen are trying to get back to, to, to Britain. But also, René is trying to escape through sexual fantasy. Yes. Helga and Herr Flick are trying to escape. Yes. They're trying to find joy in darkness, all yeah. of them. And they're trapped somewhere where they're trying to steal moments of joy or escape or hope mm. within a really dark situation. And you can be any age and understand that. Mm, exactly. There's, there's a strange thing I always used to find with anything set in the war that the actions of the Germans or the prison guards or whatever were so readable as what teachers were like. Yes. Because you are under an oppressive regime at yes, school yes. in a way that maybe your parents were at work and the analogue for your life is constantly looking for tiny bits of joy and mm. escape within a rigid system. Yes. Occupied yes. France is a pretty good analogue for the average tough school. 
Yes. Or, the, or a, a horrible job you don't like. Certainly the version of it presented by all these dramas, definitely the reality, I'm sure yeah. it's horrific, but what's presented by Lolo and all the dramas about it, the films and stuff, is is you see it and you connect with it straight away. And, you know, there's this thing, isn't there, with a the sitcom, Chase Your Characters Up a Tree. Yeah. And we start knowing, culturally having that knowledge of they are up a tree right now. And so anything they do, you can't jump the shark <laughs> when, you know, you are so desperate. And as a result, you're yeah. right, it means that... that when you do feel that sense of escape in your life, like you say, if you're at a school that you don't like or your your family is oppressive and there's a lot yeah. of shouting and it's <laughs> miserable, you feel like you can be absurd. You can do stupid stuff as well. It, it's, yeah. a, it's a permission slip. That's what it was. It's brilliant. It's the perfect thing to offer comfort when you're desperate. Yeah. We're all desperate. Yeah. And the only answer is hello, hello. <laughs> What a powerful message. Thank you for bringing the greatest comedy ever made. <laughs> I think we proved that. Sold. No arguments. Lovely. Thanks, Joe. That was fun. Comfort Blanket was presented and produced by Joel Morris for the Cheese and Pickle family of podcasts. Find us on social media and don't forget to like and subscribe.